On the night of Tuesday, March 1st, 1932, as the temperature dipped into the high thirties, a howling wind blew across the Lindbergh estate outside Hopewell, New Jersey. Fed up with the ubiquity of reporters and wearied by public intrusions, Charles and Anne Morrow Lindbergh had built their dream home, Highfields, on 425 acres in the remote Sourland Mountains. Five years earlier, the aviator's non-stop solo flight from New York to Paris in the spirit of St. Louis had brought him unequaled acclaim across the globe. As one German observer put it, Lindbergh was der Name in alle Munde, the name in every mouth. It would be hard to exaggerate the level and reach of his fame. Their move to Highfields incomplete, the family often spent weekends there, but resided during the week at Next Day Hill, the Englewood mansion of Anne's recently widowed mother, Betty Morrow. The Lindberghs had not been to their new home in three weeks. On Saturday, February 27th, a chauffeur had driven Anne and her baby, Charlie, to Highfields. That evening, as his mother would recall, the child sneezed a good deal and was apparently coming down with a cold. Two days later, on Monday, February 29th, he was still quite miserable with his cold, and with the weather damp and dreary, Anne wanted to keep him inside. She called next day Hill and told her twenty-eight-year-old Scottish nursemaid Betty Gow that she would not be coming back to Englewood with the baby. It was the first time the Lindberghs would spend a Monday night at Highfields. At 10.30 a.m. on Tuesday, Anne phoned Betty and asked her to come down from Englewood and help with the baby. His cold was much better, and he had no temperature. After she received the call, Betty canceled her evening plans with her boyfriend, Henry Red Johnson, a Norwegian sailor in the country illegally. A pretty and petite brunette with deep-set blue eyes, Betty had been working for the Lindberghs just over a year. A chauffeur on the Morrow staff drove Betty to Highfields and dropped her off about 1.30 p.m. Late in the afternoon after the baby's nap, Anne let him run around downstairs. He liked to swing and dance to the tunes of his music box and sway back and forth to the pendulum of the grandfather clock at Next Day Hill. He also enjoyed scampering around the house with the family's black-and-white fox terrier, Wagouche, named after one of Charles's boyhood dogs. As Charlie played on the floor with his Hansel and Gretel set, he was far too young to understand how a child-devouring witch could seize the lad in the German fairy tale and throw him into a cage, and far too innocent to imagine evildoers wicked enough to snatch little boys. At 5.30 p.m., Charlie was running in circles around the kitchen table when Betty took his hand and led him upstairs to the nursery, which sat at the top of the stairs on the southeast corner of the home. The wallpaper in the room displayed stick-figure images of a hunter with his dog, a deer, a rising sun, a man walking hand-in-hand with a toddler, a castle, and a fox. Betty, who had taken care of the baby for three months during his parents' celebrated survey flight to the Orient via the Great Circle route, had grown to love him deeply. The family joked that he learned to say, Gow, long before he ever tried to say, Mummy. With his blue eyes, 
blonde curly hair and a cleft in his chin to match his father's, the twenty-month-old was adorable in looks and personality. It was about 6.15 when Anne came into the nursery, just as Charlie was finishing his cereal. For a little more than an hour, she stayed with the baby, helped prepare him for bed, and straightened the room. His usual bedtime was seven o'clock. At Anne's request, Betty used a remnant of a flannel petticoat for an infant and some blue silco cotton thread to cut and sew a high-necked shirt for him to wear underneath his Dr. Denton's sleeping suit. The nursemaid rubbed the baby's chest with Vicks VapoRub, put on his nightclothes, and affixed a baby Alice thumb guard to each hand to prevent him from sucking his thumbs. At half-past seven, Anne went downstairs and sat at her desk in the living room. Meanwhile, Betty put Charlie into his crib and used two large safety pins to fasten his bed covers to the mattress.